You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Annie from the USA. And I'm Johanna in Austria, and you're listening to your favorite international podcast. What's going on? Why is it Friday and you're listening to our newest episode? Why didn't we drop this one on Wednesday? If you're on social media, you already know. But for all of you who are not, lucky you, we decided (laughs) to move our upload day for new episodes from Wednesday to Friday. We had been thinking about this for a while already and there are some plus sides to this. First of all, dropping our newest episodes on Wednesday mostly meant that we would work through the weekends, meaning reading, researching, writing, all on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then recording either Monday or Tuesday, and then rest on Thursday and Friday, and then start all over again (laughs) on Saturday. And as many of you know, so many social events happen on the weekends when everybody's off, and also Annie's husband Paul is only off on the weekends, so working through the weekend Always took away a lot of time from the two of you, right? Yeah, that's no fun, especially for him, because on weekends we usually clean and organize and do yard work. And so I just feel really bad when he's like vacuuming under my feet mm. while I'm typing or reading. Not He never complains. He's a keeper. I'm lucky. But I just would like to be more present on the weekends. Part of the issue is it's really my, it's my fault <laughs> because I always have a couple of doctor's appointments a week, like every week. <laughs> But I see a lot of specialists. And so the problem with specialists, many of you will know, you don't really get to pick and choose when you get to see them. Like they tell you the date and you accept that date because the next available might be a year from that date. You know what I mean? So, Mm. and I'm like, I'm already behind in scheduling an MRI. I need to see a dental. Like there's just so much stuff, but it's like appointments that are going to take a long time and I just don't have the time. So this is going to make medical scheduling a little bit less stressful. Or like, yeah. if the doctor's like, you know what, I'm gonna, I need you to get an, an MRI this week. And then it's like, you know, yeah. how many episodes do we miss because of that kind of thing? You know, it's like, well, never mind yeah. that day that we had saved. So now we just have a little bit more of a buffer. And lastly, and we didn't realize that in the beginning, most podcasts release new episodes on Mondays and Wednesdays. And I guess it's because most people did what, what I did back in the day when we started. You know, we, we googled when is the best day to release podcast episodes. <laughs> and of course, the answer was Mondays and Wednesdays. And I think pre-COVID, uploading new content right before the weekend was not great because people wouldn't listen to or watch anything over the weekend. But let's keep our fingers crossed that it doesn't harm our download numbers too much. So far, we got quite some good feedback from listeners saying they are happy about the change because none of their favorite podcasts comes out on Fridays. So, as I said, keep our fingers crossed that it works out. Worst case, we can always change it back again or, you know, close shop permanently. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. We're here. We're going to stay here. Don't tempt me. All right. (laughs) Annie, you have a case for us today. I do. I do have a case. All right. It's been a long time since we've discussed a UFO case. And I really do enjoy them, even though I find them scary. They're the scariest category for me, scariest category that we cover. And I blame ET, which you already know. (laughs) We've discussed a couple of potential UFO sightings before. For me, what makes a sighting or an experience 
more legitimate in my eyes is often down to the person who sees it, right? So Mm -hmm. if it's an astronaut or a military pilot or any kind of pilot, really, but especially military, because I think they're used to seeing the sort of aircraft that like your average commercial pilot might never lay eyes on, right? So when somebody in the military or the space program (laughs) reports seeing something unusual that they couldn't identify, that makes me sit up and take more notice than if I tell you, hey, I was in the hot tub last night and I think I saw a UFO. Um, Exactly. But I was like mid-joint, so who can say, right? Like, I'm a different kind of, I do have a story, but it's not as exciting as this. This guy, this case, it's a very credible witness with an interesting story that's kind of, uh, I would say that it's a unique tale. And It's also the only UFO sighting in the UK that was investigated by the police. So that's interesting. Okay, is it just me? I don't know. Maybe it's kind of weird. Maybe you feel the same. I don't know. Lately, I think more things are possible out there. And if you remember back when we started, I was a total skeptic and non-believer in many ways. And I'm not just talking aliens and UFOs, Mm -hmm. you know it. Now I'm more like, yeah, that's all totally possible. And the more I'm like that, like, huh, yeah, possible, the less these things scare me. Right. I don't know why, because before I didn't believe in them. And I have no idea if it's because we covered so many things already and talked through so many things and so many fears, or because I got older and life just happened. Do you know what? that? Does anybody feel the same? Like I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm more like, well. No, I th- I think so. I, for me... You know, for years, I couldn't even talk about UFOs. They really creeped me out so much. Like how you used to feel about ghosts. And ghosts Mm. used to really scare me too. Like I was fascinated by the idea of them, but they really also scared me. Like I did not want to experience a ghost. But when people I love passed away, my feelings on that changed dramatically. Changes everything. Right? I remember texting you... mm, more little more than six months after your dad passed and just saying, do you feel differently about ghosts yet? And you were like, yes, because you really, yeah. it's different when you think that maybe the ghost that's visiting you is a loved one, you know, and you want that. So it kind of shakes everything up on its head. I think the more we read and the more we study and the more we research, I think in some ways I've become more cynical. In some ways I've become really jaded and I feel like Things I used to really believe in, I now look at, and I think, how did I ever buy that? Like, how did I ever, like, once I look deeper at the story, you know, I think researching, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It makes you realize that- I mean, we also debunked a lot of things already. Exactly. But then on the flip side, it also has left me even more open-minded to things, because we've just learned about so many interesting things that, I don't know, this world is bizarre. It's it's easier to keep an open mind, I think, you know? Yeah. So, primary sources for this case are contemporary articles from back in the 70s on newspapers.com, some recent articles that I'll link to, and two documentary pieces that I found on YouTube. One is a clip from Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious Universe, and that one was made not long after this incident happened, and it features interviews involving Bob and his wife, Mary. We're going to talk more about that later. The other documentary, and these are pretty short, like the Arthur C. Clarke clip is maybe five minutes, and the other, which is called The West Lothian Question, was great. And it had lovely interviews with an older Bob who 
I believe, was widowed at this point, and it was only a couple of years before he passed, so I think around 2005. But both of them are great, and that one was maybe 30 minutes, and it's it's interesting. I'll link to them. All right, so let's get into it. This case takes place in Scotland in 1979, happened to an incredibly pragmatic man named Robert Taylor, who everyone called Bob. Bob Taylor was born in 1919 in Fincastle, Pershore, Scotland, and this county is in the middle of the country, and it's very rural, or was then. And Bob loved the outdoors, and he worked as a gardener. Then, in 1939, he joined up with the Fife and Fofar Yeomanry as a tank driver. So, he was on active duty in World War II. He fought in France, Belgium, the Netherlands. He was at Dunkirk in 1940, and in the interview um, where he's older, he says, yeah, we got to Dunkirk just as the evacuations were starting, so they kicked us out. (laughs) You know, he's like so... Very pragmatic. It's just a different generation, right? At the end of the war, he was released from the army. That was in 1945. And at that point, he was in Hamburg. So I think he was involved in active combat for five years. And then he just came home and resumed his life. After the war, he came home and he worked as a roadman. So he was building and repairing roads. He says in that same interview, he's like, yeah, driving a a tank isn't really that different from driving a big truck. As long as you can stand the heat. Like, (laughs) again, do you know what I mean? Like, He's like, mm. yeah, driving a tank is was fine. It really wasn't that bad, apart from the apart from the roasting alive heat. Yeah, okay. So a new town was being built, right? All these towns were popping up after the war, and overcrowding in Edinburgh and Glasgow were really a problem. So they were building this planned community, and it was called Livingston. And today, it's the largest town in West Lothian. That's the part of Scotland that that this takes place in. Wikipedia says the following about Livingston, quote, Under the New Towns Act of 1946, Livingston was designated as a new town on the 16th of April, 1962, in order to ease overcrowding in Glasgow. Taking its name from a village of the same name incorporated into the new town, it was originally developed in the then counties of Midlothian and Westlothian, along the banks of the River Almond. It is approximately 15 miles or 25 kilometers west of Edinburgh and 30 miles or 50 kilometers east of Glasgow. The first edition of the Livingston Plan designated new areas for housing up to 100,000 people, as well as areas for new industry and offices marked by new roads, pathways, and recreational spaces under an 84 square mile or 220 square kilometer survey led by Professors Donald Robertson and Sir Robert Matthew. Until the development of the new town, the area was primarily agricultural, with farming focused on the alluvial soils of the Almond River. The area is now primarily an urban area, although as a new town, Livingston is characterized by large areas of forested paths, public parks, and open spaces. Livingston, the town, is twinned with Grapevine, Texas. So, end quote. So, in 1963, right when the development of this brand new town is happening, Bob applied for a position working in nature again as a groundskeeper. He got the job, and they moved into their home in Deans. That's Bob and his wife, Mary. 
One aspect of his job was making sure that none of the local sheep accidentally wandered onto the private wooded area that was being developed, and Bob would check the gates and walk the paths along with his dog to make sure that no livestock had ended up accidentally in the area. I think that this this town was unique because they created they created a town and a forest where a lot of it had just been grazing fields. This development had forest areas planned into it, which I think is incredibly thoughtful for the time. Mm. But I think it's nice. So they were planting forests, and, and basically they just had to make sure that, like, random sheep weren't, you know, spending the night eating everything that had just been planted. That kind of thing, I think. Yeah. On the morning of Friday, November 9th, 1979... 61-year-old Bob, who has been working there now for 15 or 16 years, he's a foreman, and he sets off with Lara, his red setter, for a walk around 10 a.m. He parks his truck on the side of the road near the M8, which is the name of a highway, and he walks through the forest and up the side of a hill known as Decmont Law. A hill is law in Scots or Scottish Gaelic. That's such a funny coincidence. I just learned learn about what a law is in, in Scotland yesterday when I was researching next week's episode. I know you already know it, mm -hmm. but uh, all, you're all going to hear it in a week. I'm, I'm just, it's so funny that we both work on something where this comes I up. I thought that was weird too. It's weird. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob and Lara are enjoying their walk through the woods. And then they come to this clearing. They come sort of around the corner and into a clearing and they just stopped short. There, in the woods in front of them, was this big gray sphere. It was 20 or 30 feet, or six and a half meters or so in diameter, and there was a band around the middle, and this outer band was set with lots of little small, like, propellers, but that not the kind of, they don't look like the kind of pro propellers that would actually pilot the craft. They look, I don't know how to describe them, actually. But they're not the kind of propellers that would fly this thing. They're interesting. We've got artists' sketches. And so he sees this thing, and it's flickering, so that sometimes it was totally solid and visible, and other times he could see through it to the trees behind it. And he felt like it looked like maybe it was trying to conceal itself somehow. When it was solid, it was some sort of dark metallic material that looked rough, like with the texture of sandpaper, he said. And he wasn't sure whether it was hovering or resting on the ground. So Bob and Lara are just standing there in shock. And before they can do anything, these two smaller balls appear. And they're about three feet or a meter or so in diameter. They're the same kind of material, but instead of a metal band going around the middle of the sphere, like on the big object... These have six or so long metal spikes sticking up out of them. And Bob said they looked like sea mines, is what they remind him of, like the World War II sea mines. Suddenly, these two spiky spheres approach him by rolling on their spikes, and they flank him, one to each side of him. And he remembers them moving fast and then touching his legs. He then remembered a really terrible, terrible acrid stink that he described as being similar to the smell of burning brakes and hearing a hissing sound before losing consciousness. So Bob regains consciousness, probably because of Lara's constant barking and trying to rouse him. 
and he figured he'd been out maybe 15 to 20 minutes. So now he's awake, and he's got aching legs and a splitting headache. Lara was unhurt physically, but clearly freaked out and upset. He had a terrible taste in his mouth. He was dirty and scraped up, and his trousers had tears in them at the knees. But the objects that he had seen were gone. At first, he was a little disoriented, and he's struggling to walk. So he ends up crawling to get to his truck. Finally, finally, he arrives at his, like, it was like a forestry truck van kind of thing, you know. And he goes to start it, and it won't start. And finally, he gets it going, but he almost immediately backs it into a ditch because his legs just aren't working properly. So he walks home, clearly having experienced some kind of shock. So he and Lara make their way slowly home, and then when he arrives home, his wife Mary greets him at the door. All right, this is my favorite thing. There is an episode that Arthur C. Clarke Mysterious Universe that I told you about, and they're talking about the story, and there's an interview with Mary as well as with Bob, and she's the best. And so I'm, I'm going to link to it, but I'm now going to just paraphrase this conversation that they had when he makes it back. So he makes it back home, and they're Scottish. I'm not going to do the accents, really, but they've got the most lovely Scottish accents. And so she sees he's looking pale and dirty and disheveled, and she says, What's happened, Bob? Did you have an accident in your truck? And he says, No, I've been attacked. And she said, By what? And he says, By a spaceship. And she says, Ugh, goodness me, there's no such a thing as a spaceship. I'm going to call the doctor because you must have hit your head. And then he says, He's sorry, but his trousers are ripped through to his thermals on underneath. And then she ends with, Ugh, no, you've gone and torn your trousers. So, <laughs> okay, I have to say, at first the story was kind of creepy. Yeah. But <laughs> I love this interaction so much. It totally takes the creepy factor away from it. They're just... And now I have to go and look up the interview after we're done recording. You, it's the this best is, thing. This is brilliant. It's so... It's just, it's the cutest thing. I found a picture of them when they were young and like newly married and... Oh, I just love them. But they're just, you know, they're that war generation of steely pragmatism, right? Mm-hmm. So she calls the doctor and she calls Mr. Drummond, her husband's boss. So the doctor comes out to take a look at him and he gives him a thorough physical and he did find some cuts and scratches. He had some abrasions around the area of his knees where his trousers had been torn, but nothing serious, nothing requiring stitches or anything like that. The doctor decides to go ahead and call the police because clearly something has attacked him. He doesn't know what, but something's going on here. So he has a full physical and is given a totally clean bill of health. His blood pressure, his his respiratory rate, his pupil dilation. You know, he literally has a very thorough going over house call and nothing, they can't find anything wrong. So meanwhile, the doctor had called the police. The police arrived. And they decide that something had clearly happened to him. So disregarding like who or what was responsible, the police decided that they were going to investigate this as an assault. And so they took his torn trousers and then Bob said, agreed that he was going to take them back to the clearing where the attack had taken place to look for evidence. 
okay, they did believe that there had been an assault, but did they believe when he said it was a spaceship? And also, did they find anything there? It's interesting. One of the things that you hear over and over and over again in both of these various documentaries and interviews about him is that everybody says, well, if anyone else but Bob Taylor had said this happened, we probably would have dismissed it, but not Bob mm -hmm. Taylor. Like, they don't believe in UFOs. They're not into that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's just, everyone's just like, no, he would never. He's quiet, yeah. keeps to himself. You know, they're, it just doesn't fit. No one could believe that there's any chance he would be lying. So nobody, nobody, I think everyone immediately ag agreed that he was telling his truth, but no one really knows mm -hmm. what the actual truth is. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they get to the clearing and they do find stuff. And what they find are like 40 holes in the ground. And they're three inches or so in diameter and deep. I heard them referred to as like if a horse had stomped on muddy ground, like that kind of thing. Okay. You know, but it wasn't, I think that's a good way to envision the size, but it wasn't muddy ground and it wasn't caused by a horse. And they're in the, they're in the shape of, I looking at it, I would, there's like a diagram showing what the markings look like. And I think the holes in the ground almost look like if you were drawing a ladybug and it's the shape of like ladybug wings. If that makes sense, like mm -hmm. straight down the middle and curved on the outsides where there'd be mm -hmm. like a I circle. Know what you mean. Okay. But then in between these marks, these divots in the grass, there's these impressions that look like tracks on a ladder left. Um like like if a bulldozer or a tank or something with treads had made an impression in the ground, right? With these mm -hmm. marks. And I have a diagram and we have some pictures that we'll we'll post. So initially, the detective assigned is Ian Wark, and he thought he'd solved it because surely with all of this construction equipment in the area for building this new town, city, these marks easily would have been left by one of these giant pieces of equipment that they're using for construction, right? Like a caterpillar, a tote, I don't know, I can't remember truck names. What's the thing with the, with the scoopy thing that goes... Excavator. Thank you. So, <laughs> so the authorities set off with Mr. Drummond to see like where they keep all their heavy machinery, like where the garage is, you know, for all of this kind of stuff. And they're certain this is it. They've, they've solved it. There were two problems with his theory. The first was that while there were many, many heavy machines, they all had big tires, not treads. There was nothing that matched, not even close. The other, more disturbing problem with this theory is that these tracks were very visible, these sort of caterpillar tracks, but they didn't go anywhere. There are just caterpillar tracks or tank tread tracks in the middle of a clearing, and they don't go anywhere and they don't come from anywhere. And so it's like the footsteps in Interkaifek. It's like whatever made them was dropped from the sky and then went back up into the sky. So the detective was like, well, that's odd. Maybe something was taken out by a helicopter. Like, that's not a wild supposition, right? There are times when helicopters no. bring equipment to things. So he went to check that thinking for sure that that would be what it was. But no, nothing had been brought in by helicopter. So Bob's trousers were examined by a forensic laboratory. I think the lab was actually in England, but it doesn't really matter. 
And there, they were, they were really just able to determine that the tears in the trouser leg, legs, were consistent with having been ripped in a lifting up motion. So they looked different than how tears from bobbed wa- barbed wire would look or tears from crawling would look. You know what I mean? Like, so like something grabbed him by his pants, by the legs of his pants and then just lifted him up. Exactly. In a, in a very quick motion. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And there are people who believe this was an alien encounter and that Bob was abducted. And they will point out that this is probably how he was taken to the ship. But no one, especially Bob, ever made any claims of that nature. He never said anything about being lifted up. He never encountered anything that appeared to be a human humanoid creature or any kind of living being. He basically passed out around the time that they touched him, although he did say he'd heard like a hissing noise and thought perhaps he'd been gassed and knocked out. Of course, at the time, there weren't DNA tests. Initially, the area where the tracks were had all been roped off, but you know how it goes. Like the next day it had snowed, and so things were starting to disappear. And then after that, it had been in the newspaper, and people were coming from all over the place. The looky-loos were arriving in droves to take, like, UFO soil from the area. You know what I mean? So there Mm -hmm. wasn't really anything Mm. that could be tested. And then today, things like the trousers might have been interesting to test, but they've been handled by loads of people. So DNA wouldn't really be any point now. Why did so many people... uh handle the, the trousers yeah. like <laughs> why are they getting around so much does he show them around or are they w- w- yeah what's going he on does. there he's like hey everybody look at my pants no no he definitely wasn't and it's especially funny because in the uk pants are underwear and here they're outer leg coverings like jeans capris leggings trousers all kinds of pants but underwear is panties but never pants Knickers are also underwear in the UK, and they're also not underwear here. They're another type of pant, usually ending at the knee. Oh, your nightmare, Johanna. I used to have velvet and corduroy knickers that my mom would dress me up me in too. for the holidays. Is that where you're, where you're, is that where you're... I think yeah. so. And, of course, the corduroy yeah. couch, the obligatory 80s corduroy yeah. couch. <sighs> Those were pretty sweet. So, the trousers, they were a heavy weight work material heavier than your average denim do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. for work clothes specific uh, yeah exactly what Mm -hmm. my husband wears to work yeah and they were somehow acquired by ufologist is it ufologist i can't remember every time i forget i'll just say they were somehow acquired by ufo enthusiast and uh study of of ufos expert ufo expert ufo expert thank you and his name was Malcolm Robinson. And we're going to talk about him more in a little bit, but that's it. That's Bob's story, pretty much. And it never changed, not for the rest of his life. He died in March of 2007 at the age of 88. One of the documentaries I watched, The Decmont Law Incident, which I'll definitely link to, Mary had already passed, and he's just telling the same story we hear in the interview from decades before. I thought it was interesting because he talks about the war in a very casual way. The only time to me in these in these videos that he looks uncomfortable is both times when he's explaining that he just passed out. It's like he seems ashamed that he didn't mm-hmm. see what else happened because he passed out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think because uh, 
passing out used to be seen as like kind of a thing women do when they were shocked or That's right. scared or you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's this kind of uh, old fashioned like weakness. Thing. Yeah. Any questions or anything to add before we get into the theories, but people think he might have actually seen that day? I have a semi-related question only because uh, you said he never changed his story and because recently I read a lot of differing opinion when I researched the Natasha Kampusch mm. case. So it used to be that we thought that if a witness never changes the story, always tells the story the exactly the same way, that this means that it's more likely the truth. Mm -hmm. But lately I read many times that some experts in the field actually take this as a sign of lying because it's what you do when you rehearse the story many times while when you retell real events, it will always change a little bit over time, like in, in, in an organic way, in a natural mm -hmm. way. Because you forget some things or suddenly you remember other things. And I honestly understand both sides of the argument. I don't know where I stand on this, but what do you think about that? I absolutely understand that point. I think that's a really good question. So those two interviews that I watched, I think they're about 20 years apart, at least. And I think those are the only two interviews he ever really did. I wouldn't say that the story was exactly the same. It's not like he tells it identically, you know, but mm -hmm. the overall story never changes. And people will ask him things as he's telling the story, like, did you see anybody? No. Were there lights? No. And I think, I think it's really normal to have any kind of unique experience to morph over time with little exaggerations just because it makes the story a little better. You know what I mean? I think we all do Everybody that when we does tell it. stories from 20 years ago. 100%. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. That's what I mean. Exactly. Mm. But he doesn't really have any of that here. There's opportunity to, but he never does. He's, he never saw anybody. He never saw any lights. He doesn't know where it went. He never, he's not sure if it was actually flying. There's no embellishment. He's just so prag, he's just so pragmatic about it. He just, I, I think he's being genuine. I'm going to be really curious to see what everyone else thinks. I think he was prepared to talk to people because I think the only reason he, he talked to people honestly was he wanted to see what they could find out. I think he really wanted a reasonable explanation for his own self. And I don't think he ever had one in this life. You know, he just like, they didn't like giving interviews to the public. He and his wife moved away after he retired because once people heard about it, there were constantly looky-loos and people asking for interviews, and he just didn't want to be bothered by people who were UFO enthusiasts, unless they could actually give him answers. He didn't want the attention. He didn't want money. I just don't think he lied about anything ever. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just don't think this mm. man ever lied. It seems like a crazy thing to say in this day and age, but, you know? No, I get it, yeah. Yeah. You'll see. I'm going to be, I can't wait to hear everyone's take on this. Maybe we can talk about this in the Patreon too. All right. So time to get into some theories because there are a lot of theories. Uh, the first one is he saw something which caused a flashback or some other sort of PTSD related situation, which brought him back to his military experience and then caused him to pass out. People point to him describing the objects on the ground as looking like sea mines and think there's a connection because of that, maybe. I'm not so sure about this. I'm not saying that that's not possible, but 
I have PTSD and have had and still experience flashbacks, and I'm not saying that mine are the same as everyone else's, but for me, it takes me out of my own body, and I could absolutely see a person maybe falling or crashing a car when they were having a really vivid flashback. I've certainly never hallucinated anything during one, though. It's not like he had a hallucination where sea mines, he was hitting a sea mine. He wasn't in the Navy, he was on a tank. It's, I don't know. And flashbacks for me are more like an out-of-body out of experience where you're back in an actual vivid memory. But that's me. I don't, maybe everyone else is, is something, somebody different, but the, something different. But I think the other con for this argument is that he never suffered from anything like this before or after. And I'm not sure how many people who have flashbacks only ever experience one, and it's so bad that you're hallucinating, and also it's the only time it ever happens. I, I, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I just don't think it's super likely. What do you think? I don't have PTSD, and I only ever hallucinated when running a high fever. Interesting. Or while under the influence of natural substances. Yeah. So I can't really say, but I think... It could happen. I think war-related PTSD can maybe be very, very special. And for some, the triggers... Well, we think of war-related PTSD, the triggers are like loud noises or bangs or mm -hmm. uh, like light. I think the, the triggers might be very, very unique and something that he maybe never encountered before and afterwards. I don't know. Just it's possible. I just... It's possible. I yeah. think there would have been more than just this one thing, right? Like I have... PTSD and I have flashbacks, but I also have panic attacks and I have anxiety and I have, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? And even if I mask all of that really well, it's, it's not like incredibly difficult to work that out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So with me, so it just seems, it seems, it seems like somebody would say like, well, he was different after that or he was, I don't know, but we don't know. There could absolutely have just been a one of. So the next idea is one of many put forth by a debunker by the name of Stuart Campbell. Stuart believes very strongly that what Bob actually came across and saw was the planet Venus low on the horizon, and that it was working in conjunction with some kind of mirage effect caused by uh, conditions in the upper atmosphere, and that this phenomena caused the planets to appear in front of him as an illusion. So the problem with that is, this is all from that documentary, and they basically go to the local planetarium in Edinburgh, I think, it might have been Glasgow. Anyway, they're at the, the planetarium, and they're speaking to a scientist about this supposition, and they were able to put stuff in the computer and look at exactly what the conditions were at that day around 10.30 in the morning. And they were able to conclusively determine that there was no way that Jupiter or Venus would have been visible in the sky at 10.30 in the morning from that location in Scotland. The sun would have just been far too bright. Also, the man at the planetarium felt it would have been too low to be seen on the horizon, even if it was visible. So I just don't think that's it. And Stuart Campbell does say, you know, this is my own theory. I don't know if this is scientifically accurate. So... I don't know. I understand the mirage, mirage aspect, and they're fascinating, the way mirages work, but I'm not sure how you then hallucinate over a mirage that a semine-looking robot ball ripped you up in your trousers. 
It's just a lot. I don't love that one. It seems a bit far-fetched. And I mean, it's also easily disproved, right? By the actual facts of the day with like the weather and I think how so. it wouldn't have been possible. Mm. I think so. And then Stuart Campbell also felt very strongly that the marks everyone thought were caterpillar tracks were actually caused by pipes being illegally stored there. And he claims that they left these indentations in the grass, these like horse-hoofed-sized holes with a pick because workers had to use picks to pull loose the the pipes that had sunken into the grass. But I bet a lot of people immediately know what the problem was. We would need to know how the grass was, what was the shape of the grass, the shape in like, was it dead? You know? Exactly. And it was not dead. That's the problem. The guys on the grounds keeping team were absolutely certain that nothing had been stored there, and they said that if something had been stored there long enough, it would have discolored the grass and killed Mm. it, making it that sort of yellow color that anyone who has forgotten to put the hose away after being away for a week will know. Uh, yeah, trust me, there's constantly so much construction material stored in our yard, I can exactly picture it, what it would have looked like if it had been made by some pipes on the ground. (laughs) Yeah, we had that brand new house go up next to us, and my husband had literally just taken down a tree and completely receded the side lawn when they showed up and started throwing planks down. Mm. And Paul was like, oh, sorry, could you move those boards? Like, you know, and we felt so mean, but like, like, oh man, that took us two years. Uh, But that's exactly it. Yellow, dead, dying. And there was none of that, you know? So, all right, next on the list is the seizure theory. Apparently, around 10 or 15 years before witnessing this object, Bob had suffered with a case of meningitis. The moose almost died of meningitis when she was five. That was the first time I ever saw my dad cry. Motherfucking meningitis. All right, let's talk about it. According to the CDC, quote, Meningitis is an inflammation or swelling of the protective membranes covering the brain and spinal cord. A bacterial or viral infection of fluid surrounding the brain and spinal cord usually causes the swelling. However, injuries, cancer, certain drugs, and other types of infections can also cause meningitis. It is important to know the specific cause of meningitis because the treatment differs depending on the cause. Viral meningitis is the most common type of meningitis. Most people get better on their own without treatment. However, anyone with symptoms of meningitis should see a doctor right away because any type of meningitis can be serious. Bacterial meningitis is serious. Some people with the infection die and death can occur in as little as a few hours. However, most people recover from bacterial meningitis. Those who do recover can have permanent disabilities such as brain damage, hearing loss, and learning disabilities. End quote. Moose would get Bell's palsy. She had repeated Bell's palsy over and over again as a kid uh, as a result of having survived the meningitis. And the meningitis story is one for another time because it's, that's really something. That's, that's Patreon. Remind me. Okay. So the theory here is that because Bob had meningitis, It must have been a seizure, probably brought on by the shimmering planetary mirage. The ufologist, ufologist, the ufologist (laughs) says this doesn't track as Bob never had before or since experienced any kind of seizure. And it would be very unlikely to have a one of seizure that wasn't caused by like a high fever. Is it possible? Sure. But is it likely? 
I don't know. I mean, I guess it's possible. And I don't like to go after how likely is any event, especially when we are trying to figure things out. True. Because the most unlikely things do actually happen. And it's sometimes a once in a lifetime thing that happens, but it did happen. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point because there is so much that we don't know and that we don't understand. I'm only saying it in terms of it's possible. It's not probable. Like this isn't something that happens with frequency. You know what I mean? It's funny when with your hallucination from fever, I had a fever that caused a seizure once, but I don't remember anything. Like I didn't hallucinate anything, but I don't, I don't remember anything. All right. So the next theory is from Phil Fenton. Phil Fenton went on to write a book about this. This is Phil Fenton's hypothesis. He believes that Bob went to a different part of the woods entirely. And there, he saw this water tower that absolutely looks like a UFO, 100%. Very UFO-like looking water tower. And then when he went to bring them back after the encounter he didn't take them back to the right place. He took them somewhere else where they found the tracks in the lawn, which he believes were made by somebody, by people camping. Mm. And that he just, because he was so confused, he went back to the wrong place. And he thinks that if he'd gone back to the other side of the highway, then everyone would have seen this water tower and immediately known that that's what he somehow saw and got confused with. So the thought there is that he saw the water tower and then had an ischemic attack, like a mini stroke, and that caused this hallucination, and that the choking smell that made his mouth taste bad was chlorine gas from the water plant. Also the smell, he smelled, he he said he smelled burnt rubber, right? Yep. I mean, that could be a sign for a stroke. I was just going to say that. I think that can be a sign for a seat. No, no, no. I'm just uh, totally agreeing with you. And I think it can also be a sign for, like, a prodrome before a seizure, too. You can sometimes have phantom smells and things like that. And a brain tumor, I think, right? Phantom smells, especially burnt rubber. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's his theory, that he just led them back to the wrong place, Hmm. had a stroke. So I don't really think it would be likely for Robert, having worked on these woods for over 15 years... To not have come to seen the water tower and then said, oh, gosh, it was, do you know what I mean? I don't think he would get confused about where he was. Also, where was the car? He, he backed the car in a ditch? Yeah, So he did. I have a diagram of that, actually, to share. Wouldn't that indicate that he was led them back to the right place? I think so. I think so. But... I'll share I'll share the diagram of where everything was. I do think that if we're saying that this was all a hallucination and this and and that none of this ever happened, I do think a TIA, like a, a mini stroke, would probably best describe his physical symptoms. And if you were gonna have a one of medical event only one time in an eighty-eight year life. I don't know why, but for me, a mini stroke in your 60s, early 60s, makes more sense to me than a seizure. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
But again, it's all supposition. And he had a full workup, and a full workup within an hour of this happening. Mm. And I, I can't help but feel that if he had had a mini stroke, there would have been signs. Because I know people who have had them, and sometimes there are signs and sometimes there aren't. But I think that if it was bad enough for him to hallucinate and pass out, and that would explain maybe his legs not working so great and all of that, but I really think the doctor would have recognized it, but it's all speculation. Another thing I hadn't thought of was, so after I finished writing up all my notes and everything for this episode, I found a great podcast that I want to recommend to everyone called Talking Till Dawn. It's hosted by two Scottish gentlemen, Michael Whitehouse and Martin Yates, who I could listen to the two of them read the phone book. Their voices are delicious. So after I'd written everything up on this case, I then, of course, found their episode, which always makes me laugh because if I'm going to find one useful resource somewhere like this, it's always after I'm done. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I'll link to them. Definitely give it a listen. Tell them I said hi. One excellent, they made a couple of great points. One point that they brought up, which I had not thought of, was one of the things they feel made this a little bit more credible is that it doesn't follow the normal tropes for a UFO sighting, right? There aren't any little green men or little gray men. There aren't any flashing lights. It's a story that is unique in terms of what people then considered a close encounter. You know, what made me think something similar is when you said he said he didn't know if it was hovering or standing on the ground. Mm. And I think that would have been such an easy lie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it was hovering above the ground is something that he would have said. But by admitting that he wasn't sure, I think, I don't know, it gave me the feeling of, of credibility there. This is the thing. Yeah, yeah. So I thought they made a great point there. And I just want to give credit where credit's due. The other really good point that they pointed out for me, which was helpful because I wouldn't have looked into this, they said that they didn't think there was any way that this was some sort of secret military experiment because there's all kinds of places in Scotland that are just Ministry of Defense areas that are very, very rural, but this is not one of them. This area is right between the two biggest cities in the country, between Edinburgh and Glasgow. This was especially interesting to me. The road where he left his truck, it's a really busy road. It's like one of the main roads. So it doesn't make any sense that there would have been a secret government experiment held in such a populated area right next to a main road. Yeah. If you're trying to do like a an early drone or UAV kind of thing, it this wouldn't be where you would do it. It just does not make any sense because the road is so busy. So thank you to talking till dawn podcast for that info i think i'm gonna really start listening to them because they mostly do paranormal close encounters of the third kind which paul made me watch because i'd been too afraid to see it (laughs) that came out in 1979 uh no 77 that came out two years earlier i think in 1977 and this was 1979 so again like you were saying he didn't say it was flying He, he wasn't really sure And there's just no overlap to Close Encounters. You'd expect something, almost, you know? On November 2nd, 1990, the Lothian Courier reported that a ufology group was going to have Bob's trousers taken to a psychic, and the the papers got in touch with Bob to ask his thoughts on it, and he responded, quote, I haven't heard anything about the trousers since the police took them away for forensic tests 11 years ago. But the UFO people can go ahead with whatever they think is best, end quote. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, the uh, psychic felt pain when she touched 
the trousers. Ooh. I know. I'm not sure what Bob saw that morning, but I think him being the witness made this report more credible. I just think this was a man who had seen things. He had lived a remarkable life. He only gave a few interviews. He didn't want to talk about it. He never made any money off of it. His story didn't change. Yeah. I have thoughts on what might have happened. It doesn't really matter what I think. But at the end of the day, there isn't a theory that I can't play devil's advocate for on either side. I can argue both sides for almost all of the possible explanations. And I do sincerely believe that Robert saw and experienced everything he said he did. But what did he see? What happened? Yeah. Is he describing what he saw in a seizure? Is he describing what he saw in a hallucination? Is he describing a close encounter? What happened? I'm going to post pictures in our Facebook group. I'll get some posted in Patreon and also all of the sources. So you can all take a look at those documentaries. And you'd be able to find them right now if you just search for Decmont UFO, D-E-C-H-M-O-N-T UFO. You'll be able to find some of these interviews. And I'm really so looking forward to talking with our listeners and hearing what you all think happened. Speaking of which, if you've seen a UFO or had any kind of UFO or alien encounter, we would love for you to share your stories with us. Our email is freshhellpodcast at gmail.com. Just tell us in the subject if it's a UFO story, a ghost story, or just write listener story. Anything. You know what we talk about. Tell us your stories. Tell us your weird stories. We haven't done a listener story episode in forever. And I honestly, I think I can speak for both of us when I say that we find what you send into us to be so fascinating. And we love to hear your voices on the show sometimes too. Definitely. Yeah. So please email us, tell us your stories. We want to, we want to talk about it and just tell us, you know, we'll keep it anonymous if you want. Just let us know. Yeah. Yeah. We're good with that. And that's it. I have no idea what to think about this. I have to, I have to sleep, I think, Mm. over it. Mm-hmm. But it's again one of the stories where you you can argue, as you said, you can argue both sides, mm-hmm. and you can you can think, oh, uh, it must have been this or it must have been that, and there's always this one little detail that's like, but that doesn't fit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Always this one little puzzle piece, this yeah. one little thing that makes you think, hmm, you know, and you know, even if it was just a hallucination or a seizure, then I'm glad it was a one of and he didn't suffer from any kind of problems medically until he passed at 88, at which point he was already a widower. So if it was all just a fever dream, then three cheers to a really amazing World War II veteran uh, and hero, really. He, He experienced a lot in 88 years, that's for sure. All right, something good? Uh, My something good is I cleaned my pantry today, finally. It was such a mess, you couldn't even walk in. And I went to the storage unit because the washing machine we had here broke and we had our washing machine still in the the storage unit. I didn't want to bring all the stuff here until we were done renovating, right? But now I needed it. And I also took some shelves and I put it in the pantry now. And yeah, looks way nicer. I'm very proud of myself. I did a lot today. I'm really jealous of your pantry. It's huge. Actually, we're gonna make it a little bit bigger, and we're gonna put in like a doggy, doggy shower. Oh, station. is that where you're gonna put the doggy shower? Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. 
What's your something good? I'm excited because I'm in the last weeks before this big trip. I can totally understand. Yeah, I've been planning this trip for years, years, years. It's finally coming. So, listeners, listen, I could use some recommendations. You, our longtime listeners, know me, I think. So we're going to go to Falkirk for the day, we, to the Falkirk Triangle, known for its UFO activity. And we want to see the statue of the Kelpies. And we're going to go to the Falkirk Wheel, which is an engineering wonder of the world, because I think Paul needs to experience that. Does anyone have suggestions of like one other thing to see or where to eat near Falkirk? And then we have two days of in Edinburgh, too. And so far, the only thing that's a must-do on my list is the Royal Yacht Britannia. And my dad wants to tour a distillery. He doesn't want to do a tasting. He just wants to see where stuff is made. So I'm going to try to talk the moose into touring, like, the vaults or doing... I've done Mary King's Close, but I think she'd like that if she wants to do that again. And But I'd love your suggestions. And you can email us. You can leave them in a review. You can add them to the bottom of your review. If you've already left one, just add something, whatever you want to say, and it will bump it to the top so we always see it. So some of you already do that, and it's great, and we love it, but that's just a tip. And I'll do an Instagram post, too, and you can find me there. I'm (laughs) Annie.FHP, and that's it. I'm just excited. I'm excited for this trip. I'm so excited to see the photos. It's going to be great. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, please do us the huge favor, as Annie said, go and leave us a review and or a rating. It helps us out so much. It helps with the algorithm. And also, it it really means the world to us. You have no idea. We are talking into a void here, and we need your feedback constantly. Oh, yeah. If you're on YouTube, please leave us comments. Some of you already do. It's lovely. It's amazing. Please also subscribe and follow. Uh, Not only on YouTube, you also should uh, follow and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app, because otherwise maybe one day you'll forget to listen to us, especially now that we change days, right? So if you want want to know more about any of all the other things, uh, about our email address, which is freshhellpodcast at gmail.com, about where to find us, about our P.O. box, about uh, our merch store link. It's all on our webpage, freshhellpodcast.com. Please also remember to send us your listener stories. Please remember to suggest our little podcast here when somebody's asking for something that would fit the bill. And if you want to know more about Patreon, please go to patreon.com, search for Fresh Hell. We pop right up and you see all the tiers we have. Uh, we are just now waiting for the new stickers for our murder tier to be made and sent to us so we can send it out to you. And that's it. Please tell your pets we say hi. Hug them, cuddle them, check them for ticks. Every single day when we take a walk in the morning, I have to remove like, I don't know, 20 to 30 ticks from Jem and Leela. I see them mostly when they're still crawling, so it's fine, but it's exhausting. Please be kind to your pets, don't be kind to the ticks, and be kind to your fellow human being. The most important part of it all, be kind to yourself. And that's the hardest thing to do. Absolutely. I know it really is. I'm in therapy and my my doctor's like, I want you to write a journal and I want you to write down nice things about yourself in it every day. And I I still haven't done it. It's been like so hard. It's so hard. I'm just not. And then he was like, ask your friends, ask your friends and family to write down what they like about you. And I was like, I'll just leap off a dock. Thanks. No, (laughs) like that's a nightmare for me. So if you're going through hell, 
just keep going. Tschüss. Bye.